continuing uh, our series on the chase, having our, pursuing the heart of God and enabling ourselves to have that heart of God. This is week four, so just a quick catch up for all those who've, who've missed a week or missed all our weeks. Um, we, we're looking at, um, the first week we looked at developing a godly heart, a heart that is reflective of who God wants us to be and, and it, it, that word developing becomes really important. Like, even though some of us might be, maybe because of our background, maybe because of our temperament, it's easier to, to fall in line with what God wants for us. Every one of us still needs to develop that and to, to get it going in our lives. And then we, week two, we looked at a courageous heart. We, we looked at David and Goliath. And, and again, it's something that needs to be developed. It needs to be grown. And it, it's because to have a courageous heart is to be able to face the giants in our lives. And this is the thing. When we, when we kill the first giant in our life, that allows us to face the second giant. And then that allows us to face the 11th giant. And that allows us to face the 50th giant. It builds on each other. And so if we don't even think we can do this first one, we don't move on. But the thing is, just because we face the first one and, and we sort of overcome that giant that's in front of us through the grace and the power of God, it doesn't mean there won't be other giants that follow. Some of us think, okay, David faced one giant and that was, that was it. Like he continued to fight his life. In fact, Goliath had a number of brothers. And, and so whether that was something that David had to fight, he had to face the first giant to be able to get to the other ones. Then last week we looked at developing a heart of grace, a forgiving our heart, a heart that has received grace so it can pass on grace. That becomes, a, the, I suppose, the important thing that if we haven't fully received the grace of God, then it's very hard for us to pass on and fall the grace of God. And I shared that illustration that we need to be like a pipe, not a tap or a water pistol. Water pistol can only squirt so much. A tap can be turned on and off. A pipe has no control. And so when we let the grace of God flow through us, it flows onto other people around us as well. And today we're going to pivot a little bit because we've been looking at developing our heart in a good way. We're going to pivot a little bit because today... We, we've had everything necessary to have a godly heart, to have a courageous heart and a heart of grace, but everything that is needed to destroy yourself is also present in your life because we all have flawed hearts. So I'm including myself in this. This is not my opportunity to stand in front of you and tell you how bad you are. This is saying all of us have a flawed heart. Now... We all know that you don't need to develop your flaws. They come quite naturally. Like no one walks out and they go, okay, which flaws am I going to work on today to develop? But those other three, we, we need to work on having a godly heart. We need to work on having a courageous heart and a gracious heart. We need to do that. And, um, and in doing that, but what we need to realize in it, with our flawed hearts, we need to learn to defend ourselves from ourselves from the things that can cause us damage. Because every single one of us has a flawed heart and the scars of sin have left our hearts flawed and David was no different. So we're going to be looking at David today and, and looking at, I suppose, one of the one of the other stories that David is most famous for. We have David and Goliath and we've got, and then we know this story. It seems to be the one that comes up. Um, and and what we see in, in Second Samuel um, 11 and 12, uh, both chapters, David's flawed heart is exposed for all to see. Um, and that, I think that was part of it, is that 
David had the opportunity to cover it up for some time and all of a sudden it became exposed. And in, in today's world, we need to understand that we do have flawed hearts and it matters that we do right things and it's going to take effort to defend ourselves from ourselves. So basically, we, we start off looking at, um, just going back to the passage that Sarah read for us, right at the beginning of that, what we see is that David was in the palace at summertime, and what was the phrase that we used following that? When the kings go off to war. Who was the king? He was the king. Where should he have been? At war. Now, again, we sort of think, oh, that means that it's like, oh, we're all bloodthirsty. What happened in the summer, because it wasn't cold, enemies would basically go, we're going to raid the land. We're going we're gonna to go in and we're going to take stuff from your land. If your army's not there, we're going to take stuff from you. We'll take livestock, we'll take slaves, we'll burn down villages. And so because it was easy to move around at that time, you had to be alert through the summer. It was the warring time. It was when the raiders came. And so David should have been at his position defending his country. But he decided to take a holiday. He wasn't where he should have been and he wasn't doing what he should have been doing. And so David sent Joab um, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Everyone was going out, but and then it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. Have you ever sort of said, oh, this is what everyone should be doing? And then, but this one person did something different, sort of like almost highlighting that they're not where they should be, they're highlighting the fact they're not doing what they should have been doing. The problem is David had made, even though it seems such such an innocent thing, by, by removing himself from where he should have been, from removing himself from what he should have been doing, he actually let his guard down. And so the first thing we need to understand with our flawed hearts, that we need to stay on guard. We need to stay on guard. This is a constant effort to be on guard. Like there are, there are places where you need to be alert all the time, otherwise something dramatically goes wrong. Like if you're driving a car, you need to be alert. You need to stay on guard. You can't just occasionally fall asleep while driving um, or when someone's preaching angel, okay? So no falling asleep today, okay? Um, you've got to stay on guard. You, you've, you've got to be ready for that. But David was flawed and we, and we are no different. And stay on guard by being, you need to stay on guard by being where you were meant to be. Again, if we looked at this story and, and it started it this way, it was summertime at the time when kings went off to war and David was there fighting with his men to protect his country. That would have been the end of that chapter. It would have been the end of the next chapter as well. And so all of a sudden the Bible would have been a lot shorter. But David wasn't where he was meant to be. He wasn't being kingly in what he was meant to be doing. And this is what we need to realize is that our weakness is always lurking for an opportunity to pounce. It's lurking around us. It's, it's, it's chasing us. Uh, and, 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 and basically, it is always going to be there. Now, some of us think, okay, well, that's, it's not that big a deal, not, not that big a thing. But this is the thing. The devil works to get into our lives in ways where we are weak. If we are strong in, in, in an area of our faith, the devil doesn't normally attack us there. He attacks us when we are not on guard, when we are not focused on that. But the thing is, it's not to say that we should be focusing on our weaknesses. Um, I had a guy in our church years ago. He loved hand gliding. And the thing is, they, they sort of said, make sure you don't, they said, don't hit the tree that's down the hill. 
But then they said, but don't focus on the tree down the hill. Because what would happen, you'd go, well, that's the tree down the hill, and you'd be looking at it, and all of a sudden, you'd look at it and look at it and go, okay, the hang line's going exactly where you don't want it to go. When we focus on our weaknesses, when we look at all the things that we do wrong, and some of us, it becomes really depressing for some of us. We go, oh, okay, I can't get that right. I've done that again. I'm doing this again. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm always angry or I'm always upset about this or I'm, I've been doing this again. I've, I feel I've got, I've got too much pride in my life. Whatever the weakness is, if we focus on, I'm just going to do better. I'm not, I'm just going to try to not do it. And that becomes our focus. Again, we might be, we might be proud about the fact that we haven't done it for a few days and then we slip into it again. I haven't done it for a few months and I slip into it again. The focus is in the wrong place. We need to focus on being obedient. That means we need to focus on being exactly where God wants us to be and we need to focus on doing exactly what God wants us to do. Um, so that intentional focus actually brings our attention to doing what is right. Now, the thing is, the constant effort to live a righteous life is is actually difficult. It is it requires focus, it requires intent, it requires us to put the effort in. But it's not complex. What I mean by that, it's not hard to understand. If we know where God wants us to be, if we know what God wants us to be doing, and we are in that place and we are putting the effort into that, all of a sudden we are staying on guard. We are actually preventing the weakness that is lurking behind us. So we continue with the story. So one, there's a, a time after David has been sleeping and he can't sleep any longer and he comes up to the roof of the palace and he's looking over and he sees a woman bathing and she's very beautiful. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, David is, he's contemplating something. He begins thinking about something that he shouldn't be saying. So, so number one, you need to stay on guard. But secondly, you need to build boundaries into your life. And you need to build boundaries that keep you away from the things that want to destroy you. Now, the problem with boundaries is that, and it's it's happening for Christians as well, but in our world generally, boundaries are something that restrict us from living free. I want to live free, I want to do what I want, and so the church is full of rules, I don't want to be a part of the church. But boundaries are not purely restrictive. They are meant to actually protect us. They're not meant to be uh, the fun police. Now, these are types of boundaries that are good boundaries. When you go up to North Queensland, you've got signs along riverbanks and waterways saying, do not swim here, there are giant lizards that want to swallow you whole. That will, in effect, they put these signs up. Now, those boundaries are there for your benefit. They're not actually benefiting the crocodiles at all unless you don't listen to them. And over the years, people have ignored the signs going, it is okay, I can't see anything, I'm going to go in this water. And people have died over the years because they failed to follow those boundaries. We see in, in recent years when the floods come through, there'll be signs up saying, water over the road, do not cross. Again, it's a boundary put on you. Oh, I want to live free, I want to go through it. Every time we have a flood, there seems to be someone who is they swept away and they might be saved, they may not be. All because they fail to follow that boundary. We have boundaries like um, live wires, do not touch. Again, like you listen to it, oh, it's a very sensible boundary. 
Boundaries are good for us. They actually protect us at times. Those boundaries keep people safe. And in the same way, the boundaries that we need to put up in our lives to protect us from our weaknesses, they are not meant to be restrictive. They are life-preserving. And so as we put those boundaries in, again, it might be some work at, at developing those habits to put those boundaries into our lives. It enables us to live more fully. See, David has no boundaries in place. If Again, we, if David had gone off to war, we wouldn't be telling this story. If David had boundaries, this story, again, probably wouldn't be there. But he had no boundaries. Instead, David came up to the roof. He lingered in his looking. He spent more time looking than he should have. And then he actively sought her out. He didn't look away. He, he didn't go downstairs and leave it alone. He actually leans into the temptation. Now, some of you, for, so for some of you, this is not an area of struggle for you. Lust is not something that you struggle with. It's, and that, that's great. But the thing is, David's area of sin may not be your area of weakness. It could be anger. It could be greed. It could be pride. It could be gossip. It could be envy. It could be a critical spirit. Whatever your weakness is, you need to build proper boundaries around it. Why do we need to, what, we need to stay on guard? Um, or why do we need to stay on guard? And why do we need to put boundaries in place? Because we need to understand that sin kills and that temptation is calling. Temptation is calling. Again, the devil doesn't know everything about us. Like God knows our hearts and minds and all those things. Sometimes we think the devil can read our minds as well. No, that's, that's not the case. But the devil is very aware of what we've struggled from in the past. So if the, if the devil's observing you and you struggle with gossip, he's going to sort of go, oh, you know what, I'm going to tempt them with this and I'm going to throw it at this and see what happens. I'm going to see if they struggle with it again. Oh, if the devil knows you've struggled with greed and like every time a new catalogue comes in the mail, they spend hours circling or lusting over those things that they want to buy. Oh, every time something happens in life, they're so critical of everyone else or, or anything that's happening in their life. That's what I'm going to throw their way. And so temptation is calling. We need to be aware of that. That's why the boundaries need to be in place. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He saw something he shouldn't have. And instead of turning away, he pursued it. He decided to do what he did instead of doing what is right. He made a decision. Again, like that phrase in, in, that we hear in this world, it just happened. There's a lot of steps to get to it just happened. Okay? It doesn't just ever happen. And so David made a choice to follow it through. He sends for her. He actually said, go find out who this woman is. So straight away, he's exposing himself to at least another servant that he is engaged in this temptation. So do you know what? At that point in time, he's already sinned. Okay, he's actually actively pursuing this. And see, sometimes we go, oh, it's only when I cross over and, and doing that. Like, it's only when I get caught or when I, I've, I've done the deed that I, I've actually sinned. No, he, he's actively pursuing Bathsheba. And so he sends for her. And without hesitation, when she comes, he sleeps with her. The Bible's actually just, it just seems to be a ma- like a flow on effect. Whether it was because he was king and, 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 but it just, it just happened. It just got to that point that there was no slowing. There was no breaking. David went full into the sin 
with no thought of any consequences at all. And afterwards, she, she sends word um, that she is pregnant. David's sin is about to be exposed. Now, again, this is where David must have been thinking at this point. And this is, this is the thing. David was a man after God's own heart. David was the guy that wrote the Psalms. David was the guy who faced Goliath. David was the guy that showed grace in so many different situations. And David was strong in his faith. And yet, even at this point, he becomes blinded to the fact of what God is aware around him. Because David was worried of Uriah finding out. He wasn't concerned about God finding out. God knew from the, from that first step that David took up to the ceiling on that day where it was going to go. But David is not concerned about that at this time. His weakness, his flawed heart has actually left him exposed and he hasn't put boundaries around it. So David actually, he sends for Uriah. He says, come back home. Um, you've been such a great soldier. Come back home. I'm going to give you a bit of leave. And so I want you to go home and, and catch up with your life, have a romantic dinner, and David's hoping that Uriah will sleep with Bathsheba and that will cover his sin. But Uriah sort of stays at the castle. He goes to the barracks in the castle, in the palace, and he stays there. And David goes, try not to expose himself, go, what were you thinking? I'm giving this opportunity to go home and spend with your wife. And he goes, how could I enjoy time with my wife and, 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 and do that? while my, my brothers in arms are in the field and they, they are facing challenges and I went, I could not sort of enjoy my life while they are doing that. So David actually admires his, 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 like his answer and, but sneakily says, oh, come over for dinner. And so he decides to get him drunk and hopefully that will break down um, the principles that Uriah has in his life. But again, Uriah, um, out of principle, spends the night in the barracks. And at this point, what we need to realize, that even though David was a man after God's heart, that's how he was titled. At this point, because David's flawed heart is so exposed, Uriah was a better man drunk than David was sober. He was a better man drunk than David was sober. And see, if you don't build boundaries, you will go deeper than you ever thought was possible and you find yourself beneath what you once despised. When we actually let our boundaries go, all of a sudden we compromise, compromise, we compromise, we compromise to a point we go, I don't know how I got here, I don't want to be here, but this is where I am. And so David makes another decision, trying to get himself out of the mess he placed himself in. So he sends Uriah back to battle with a letter for the commander, Joab. I don't know how Joab sort of read this, but the information was put Uriah into the thick of battle where fighting is the heaviest. And at a set time, pull all the men back. And he dies in battle. He dies in battle, but he's murdered. He is murdered. After Bathsheba um, mourns, she lets David know the mourning period is, is gone and they get married. Uriah is killed to cover David's sin. Uriah is killed to almost hide David's flawed heart. 
Now, the cost of lying about your sin is always far above the cost of confessing it. The thing is, we, we get to the point where we go, oh, if I can just hide or talk down or, 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 or make excuses for that thing, all of a sudden I, I, can, I can sort of get out of it scot-free. But this, this is, the cost of lying about your sin is far more expensive to you and to others than the cost of confessing it. David was king and he killed one of his own men. That You go back to last week when we were talking about this heart of grace and David was trying to teach his men the right way to live, the right way to engage with, with, with the enemies and, and, and with King Saul. And at this point in time, David has made a decision to say, I'm going to take the life of one of my men because I don't want anyone to know what I have done wrong. A little bit of time passes and we go into chapter 12 and this chapter we, we see Nathan the prophet. Samuel is, is dead at this point in time and Nathan is the prophet of Israel and he comes before David and he says, Oh king, I want to tell you a story. David goes, I'd love to hear a story. And he starts talking about this, this rich man who had um, down the, that was in Israel that had many sheep. He was, he was a rich man. Had many sheep, um, cows, and 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 sheep, and 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 and, and fields of, of grain. He was wealthy. Yet one day, these important people came to visit with him, and he said, "Oh, we we need to um, put a feast on for them." He goes, "But I don't want to use any of my sheep. Oh, they're, they're they're almost ready for 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 the time they need to go to market. I want to make even more money than I have already." So he goes next door, and this this family they have a single lamb single lamb that's all they have and he takes it from them and he kills it and he roasts it and he gives it to to these visitors that were at his home at this point david is furious he is furious how dare this rich man take this one lamb of this family and david says do you know what nathan you let me know who this person is you let me know who this family is because they are going to pay four times the amount of what they took and with his finger pointed, Nathan says, you are the man. David, you are the man. In the same way, there are times that God will point his finger at us, maybe through others, maybe through reading his word, and he'll point his finger and say, you are that person. You are, you are the one who is trying to cover your sin and, and not deal with it and you are letting your flawed heart sort of rule your life. But this is where David's response becomes an example for us as well. Upon hearing that, upon seeing the prophet of God standing in front of him with a, a finger of judgment pointed at him, a finger of condemnation and accusation pointed at him saying you are the man David realizes the depth of his sin finally at that point I think the the, the all of it finally comes crashing down at that point and he, this is his response I have sinned against my God I have sinned against my God all of a sudden David realized it was far it was far more than just killing Uriah it was far more than committing sin against him he had sinned against God and he instantly confesses. 
You see, we, you need to stay on guard because your weakness is lurking. You need to build and maintain boundaries because temptation is calling. But when you fall, you need to find grace. You need to find grace. And there is grace to be found. This is, this is a, the great part of David's story. There was grace for David at this point in time. Because even kings do not get away with murder. There is no sacrifice you can make if you murder someone intentionally. And David has shown great grace at this point in time. But now I have both good and bad news. Good news, there is always grace to cover your sins. Eternity is no longer in question if you remain surrendered to Christ who died for you. That's the good news. But there is bad news that goes with this. Bad news is that sin always has consequences. And the forgiveness of God does not always remove the consequence of sin. Now, some of our sin is easily cleaned up. We can say sorry, we can mend relationships, we can, we can fix those things up. But many times sin leaves a scar in our lives, it leaves a scar between other people, it leaves a hurt that is with you for the rest of your life, it leaves a consequence that is always there, a pain, a feeling that you just, you can't ever forget. It may dull, it may sort of go away for a portion, but it is there. And so, the way I think about it is that I've been to many high school camps like Tessa and Angel and, and at times we'd have young people give up and share their testimonies and <coughs> some people would always get up and share that testimony of, of look at how much bad I was able, like I'm only 10 but like I've lived the life of an 80 year old living on the street doing all these kinds of things and, and people would be like, oh it's amazing what God has done in your life and I, I'd come across kids who go, I can never share my testimony and I'd be like, why is that? Because I've never done any of those things that God can forgive me for. I said, isn't that a great testimony? That God has protected you from all of that. Because those people that have lived that life, they, they, they live with those consequences. They live with those memories. They live with that hurt. And even though God's grace comes in and works in mighty ways, there are some things that aren't totally removed this side of heaven. And so judgment awaits. For David... Uriah was killed. He was having a baby with Bathsheba. It all looked above board and, and Nathan's accusation came his way. The child was, was basically condemned to die because of David's sin. David went up and, and prayed for this baby, that God would be gracious to him. But when you read through the scripture, it actually looks like he goes, he, he's gone up and mourned for this child, knowing that God will not undo what he's promised to do in this situation. He, he, he mourns for the child until the point it dies. Again, there is a pain there. David has lost a child. Bathsheba has lost a child as a consequence for their sin. But it goes on, if you're aware of, of, of the story of David from that point in time, because of David's infidelity, his lack of character, his flawed heart, he actually lost authority as king. Not all of it, but he did lose his way somewhat, especially with his family. And some of the major crises David faced after that were within his family that caused pain and heartache. And David could not go to that situation saying, don't do that or how dare you, because they would turn the finger to him and say, Dad, we are just like you. 
our flawed heart is exposed just like yours was. You cannot condemn me because if otherwise you have to face full condemnation of what you've done. And so David lost the ability to lead his family well. It was a consequence of that, of his choice. And so we need to remember that like even though we do go through times when we fail God, when we our flawed heart takes over and we get to that point where we go, oh God, I need your grace, please forgive me. It's not something that we want to be going back to regularly. It's not something that we want to sort of be making those big choices that we, all of a sudden affect the rest of our lives and we cannot undo them. And, we, and whether it is, is lust, whether it is greed, and all of a sudden we live a life where we pursue the dollar so that we can have more things. And all of a sudden we look back over maybe 50 years of our life and we go, oh, all I've got now is things and I don't have family. I've got things, but I don't have things that I don't have anything of great value in my life. And I cannot get that time back. It might be pride, and all of a sudden you want to be the best. You want everyone to look at you the best. And you actually miss the opportunities to grow in God. And in fact, people look at you and go, I don't want to be near you because of the way you act. Whatever that weakness is. If we live there, it will hurt you. Sin by very nature is designed to kill you. You realize that? Sin by its very nature is designed to take the life out of you. And when we live in a place where we are ruled by our flawed heart, when we allow that to sort of expose ourselves and we we allow our decision process to go through that, all of a sudden we are killing ourselves. And so what we need to do is we need to stay on guard. Whatever habits you need to do to have that happen in your life. And again, some of them are really good. Getting into God's word regularly. Whether that's every morning or every night or three times a week. (coughs) Getting into God's word is important to actually keep you focused on where you're meant to be so that you can be doing what you're meant to be doing. If instead of reading God's word regularly, we watch the news or the current affair, or the reality TV, or the other sort of soapy dramas that are on TV, all of a sudden we are taking upon their values and their look at life. Even the news have got their agenda of things. And so we cannot face life without God focusing us and his word becomes a place for that. So God's words are important. Gathering with believers become important. Whether that's here on a Sunday in a small group, whether that's catching up intentionally with people for the purpose of, of sharpening one another. As Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. If we just hope to get better and just go, oh yeah, like it's like showing up at the gym and walking around and hope to get fitter, hope to get stronger. Look at that guy, he's got a 22 pack. I'm hoping I'm going to have that one one day and just walk around the gym equipment. It won't work. We've actually got to have that intent of coming together and actually challenging ourselves. If David was with his men, with the soldiers, he would have been on task. He would have been on purpose. He would have been doing what he was meant to be doing. He would have been sharpening his skills and focusing on what he should have been, um, his, his purpose of his life. But instead, he was off taking a holiday. We need to build boundaries. And again, we need to be able to identify what our flawed heart is. Now, I, I can't say that for anyone else. I know areas where I struggle. 
I, I know places that I've got to build boundaries around. But you've got to be able to work out that in your life and go, okay, what do I do? When am I tempted? Am I tempted at late at night because I'm staying up sort of flicking through station after station and, and this comes on, you buy this thing or, or this comes on and you sort of catches your eye and you go, oh, that looks good or I'm going, well, well, there's a boundary for you. Go to bed two hours earlier. Actually feel more refreshed the next day. Actually be less angry. Are there people that actually make you more upset? Oh, one of the things I realise, and this is me speaking on my immaturity in my life, is that sometimes I'll watch things on Facebook. Like I'll see other churches celebrating great things. And do you know what? I feel envious. And so what I've learned, do you know what? If it's going to make me feel envious, I'm just not going to look at it. If I go and look at it and it makes me upset, why would, or I'm frustrated, why would I continually seek that out? And so I, I, make, I put a boundary around my life. In areas of greed, you've, you've got to sort of look at that and go, hey, am I, do I have too much stuff? Or how much stuff do I need? Or even asking that question, do I really need this? I, I've got a vacuum cleaner and I've got a mop, but this one, it does like all three and does my car. I need one. And so we, we need to be placing boundaries in our lives. For those who are in a place where they feel like they're fallen, you need to understand there is grace there for you. Receive it. Take it into your life. Turn your life back to God, but be ready. There may be some consequences that you have to live with. It doesn't mean that God loves you any less. It doesn't mean that God is going to be absent from your life. We're just about to sing a song that talks about that. David, at this point in his life, he wrote the song, Created Me a Clean Heart. Oh God. And it says, Cast me not away from your presence, O oh Lord, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. David understood that God's grace allowed him to come back to God. But there were consequences there. So the challenge is don't continue to be led by your flawed heart. Stay on guard. Put boundaries in place and find grace when you need it. Because in doing so, It'll enable you to have a more godly heart, a more courageous heart, a more gracious heart because you're not living by the things that will destroy you. Well, I thank you today for helping us understand, I suppose, this chapter of David's life. Helping us understand that we too have flawed hearts, each one of us. None of us escapes that. It may be different for each one of us what it is, but... Lord, I pray that we are willing to continually stay on guard against the things that would take us away from where you want us to be. That we would learn to build spiritual and healthy boundaries around those things that we do not even get close to the things that will harm us. And Lord, I do pray. I just pray over this church for those who feel that they have fallen, that there is grace there for them. They can find it. They can restore their relationship with you and accept the healing that does come from you. Do not allow them to continue on in that place, continually building scars upon their life, but let them turn their lives around now and make the most of the rest of their life as you have for them. So Lord, lead us today. 
Lead us away from the, the things that our weaknesses, our flawed heart, and lead us into the strength that we have as we focus intentionally on all that you have for us. I pray this in your name. Amen.